You're listening to the Sustainable Jungle Podcast. We share uplifting and impressive stories from people all over the world working in a wide range of fields to change our planet for the better. I'm Joy, and this week we speak to Eliza Barbachi. Eliza is the founder of Itzawood, a social enterprise based in the Guatemalan jungle. They're all about supporting education at the jungle school, creating local employment, using sustainable natural resources, and creating beautiful one-of-a-kind heirloom products. We cover all these topics and more with Eliza. Follow along or jump ahead using our show notes on our website at sustainablejungle.com forward slash podcast. For the benefit of the listeners and anybody watching, we've just taken this 40-minute drive from Flores, Guatemala, which is this cool little island, to... I'm going to pass it over to you then. It's San Andreas, is that? Yeah. Okay, right. San Andres. Like San Andres. Saint Andrew. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. And we are currently on location in the Jungle School campus. Yeah. So, before we get into the details of that, how did you land up here? Where were you born? Where did you grow up to the point where you are right now? Sure. So I'm I'm from Massachusetts originally. I was born there, but didn't live there very long. Um, sort of a mixed cultural family. My dad's Peruvian, and my mom's from the states. And when I was seven years old, um, they decided to move to Guatemala to start this NGO, and which is called Corazones en Acción. And they work with educational programs throughout the country. So now they have the school, the jungle school, but I grew up in Guatemala. So from 7 until, you know, 12th grade, 17, um, I lived in Guate, and I really, I feel Guatemalan, Chapin, more than Peruvian or American. Mm-hmm. And you call it Guat? Guate. Is that like, Guate. is that the... Yeah, that's the slang, slang. for, uh-huh, Guate. Guate, yeah. Okay. I, did, I saw that in the messages, Guate. I was like, ah, oh, shorthand, I like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so do you say, like, I'm a Guate? Or is it like I'm an Aussie or I'm a Safa? Do you so say if a you're Guatemalan, you say I'm Chapin. I'm Chapin. I'm yeah. Chapin. Okay. Or soy Guatemalteco, which is the proper long way to say it. Guatemalteco. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. But okay. our Guatemalans are known as Chapins. Okay. So your parents had this vision to move out here back in 1993, did you say? Well, you were seven years old. So I was seven. It was uh, 91, I believe. And they started working in Guatemala City in the capital. And they were there for many years. Um, And then they really wanted to... Guatemala has a lot of NGOs and like sort of help work that comes to the country. And they wanted to reach out and be in a part where there wasn't a lot happening, but there was still a big need. And so Paten definitely feels sort of like a forgotten area of the country. We're way up north. It's about 10 hours if you drive it to get from Guatemala City to here. Paten. So that's Paten. the greater region that we're in right yeah. now. Yeah. So oh. it, it's Guatemala is divided in departments, in, like states in the United States. And so Paten is our department, departamento. And um, it's quite large. It's like the northern part of the country. Okay. Yeah. And where we have the tropical forest and the Mayan biosphere and wow. um, but it's also like a very disconnected area um, we're way closer to Mexico and Belize than to some of the larger Guatemalan cities so you get a lot of influence from the north and from yes, those areas also yep so they they realized that there was a lot of need in this area because back then it was like right after the peace treaty had been signed in 96. And so there were um, returning refugees that were coming to this area. So they had fled during the civil conflict and then the government gave them land up here. So sort of like squatter villages. 
Um, so they'd come back and they'd have this land, but they didn't have much. Of course, there are villages that have been here for ages. Um, and my parents just wanted to reach out to those people and help out. So they started focusing their work up here because they saw a really big need and not a lot of people up here trying to help out. So you basically grew up a lot of your childhood and formative years up until you were 17, I think you mentioned, mm-hmm. were spent in the Paten area district. Well, in Guatemala City. Guatemala City. Yeah, oh, okay. because of the, the schools and everything. Right. So, um, but we would come up here and spend, you know, three months at a time on summer vacation. And my parents were constantly back and forth. And then now that they've moved here, and so have I. Um, but yeah, I, I spent a lot of time traveling the country, like between the city and the jungle. Yeah, yeah like I mean, living in Guatemala City. I remember when we st- spoke on the phone, you said it's a 12-hour drive from Guatemala City to here, so that's like yeah. quite, a, quite a big drive. Yeah, they're uh, fixing one of the big highways right now, so you have to time it right because they close <laughs> it sometimes for two hours at a time. Wow. Um, and so it can be a 12-hour drive, but it's only 470, 90 kilometers. Right. right so and it's a 12-hour drive. And it can be, yeah, yeah. anywhere from 8 to 12. Wow. Just shows you, yeah. It's yeah. wiggly though, right? Yes, yeah. lots of curves, yeah. Mm. So when you were 17, I understand you went back to the United States at some point to study. Yeah, so I graduated high school and I didn't go straight into into college, but I actually took a couple years off and traveled around and was involved in some different fun internships with like a music academy and I wanted to get work experience, so I... I worked like typical teenage jobs in the States that you don't necessarily, teenagers here don't necessarily, it's not like part of the culture. <clears throat> um, in like the private schools, yeah. For you as like having going, grown up in Guatemala and then doing like American summer school, what was that like? Was it quite a contrast? Yeah, I mean, when I went back to the States after living here, um, I had a culture shock going back <laughs> to the States, yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. And usually from a Western society perspective, right. you think of you think it the other way, right? Developed to underdeveloped, yeah. yeah. So I like to call it reversed culture shock, but only because I'm, I was going back to the, like my original culture, not because it was like a reversed way of doing it, but yeah. So I had to, you adapt easily though. Like if, you, if your family's multicultural and you travel around a lot, like you adapt. But I definitely had culture shock, like I remember. Um, moving back and it being a little bit a little bit of a tough transition but so I took actually a couple years off and then moved full-time to the states when I was about 19. Okay yeah and so you worked for a while and then you studied I studied communication so mainly journalism but I did PR as well yeah so journalism and public relations a little bit of business um and to be honest I don't think I ever really saw myself in this role of like social entrepreneur it took me a while. Like my my professional my career path definitely took some turns unexpectedly, but it's all now I can look back and see it's all added up and contributed to where I'm supposed to be and what I'm doing right now. Because that's what you need as an entrepreneur is to have like a varied yes tool set. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I have that. It's funny how that happens in life. All these things and at the time you're like, why did this happen to me or why is this happening? And later on you're like, yeah. That makes sense now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. I want to understand that moment where you went, okay, I'm in the US and now I'm moving back to Guatemala to be a social entrepreneur. Yeah, how did that happen? So I had a really, like, I really enjoyed my job and I had had a lot of different positions within my department. And um, 
there was sort of nowhere else for me to go. Like I, I knew that in order, I love a good personal challenge. And so I knew I had to start looking for something different, whether it be an, like another job in another big city or um, I was just looking for change. And I wasn't necessarily thinking moving back to Latin America, but I decided to take some time off and travel. Um, so I requested like a sabbatical from my boss and he approved it. And it had been quite a while actually that since I had been back to Latin America, like I'd been in the States for 10 years by, by then and um, traveled back to Guatemala maybe three times during those 10 years, but wow. it was always very quick trips, like in and out one week. Um, and I just felt like I needed Latin soil under my feet, right? <laughs> so um, I took some time off and wanted to explore some new countries because I'm well acquainted with Central America but hadn't spent as much time in South America. So I did this little little route in South America and I started in Ecuador and ended in Bolivia. And Ecuador and Bolivia reminded me a lot of Guate. And you just see that, um, that need and the rural areas and the poverty and um, all the beautiful natural resources. And I think that's what's like sparked in me, my love for Latin America again. Because I had forgotten about it, right? Like you get caught up in... Yeah, the Western yeah, world. Yeah, the Western world. The rat race, yeah. yeah. So I think that trip was really key to like opening my eyes to, to the reality of like what is happening in Latin America and also my love for Latin America. So after that trip, I went back to the States. And um, at that time, my parents were also living in the States. Um, and my mom has always had this dream to start a woodworking company here because wood is one of the beautiful natural resources that they have. And it, it maybe isn't always being managed so well, but there is a lot of it. And so it should be um, a source of economic empowerment for the community. And we were talking about it, and she said, I think it's time. Like, I really want to start this, but I need someone to run it. Because, you know, she's focused on the NGO, and that's all-consuming. And I just said, okay, like, I'll do it. I'll try it out. Uh, I'll help get the business off the ground. I'll be there for a year, and then I'll come back. And then a week later, I was talking to some friends. And, uh, and they're like, how long are you going to go for? And I said, I'm probably going to go for two years, and then I'll, I'll be back. Like, I'm just going to help get this business off the ground. And then I caught myself in some other conversation saying three years, like not even consciously. I, it's just, yeah, I knew that it was going to take more than a year. And then after that, like once I caught myself saying, I'm going to go back to Guatemala for three years, I just decided to not put a time limit on it. Yeah. And, um, and I'm back. I'm here. That's it. Yeah. Committed. Yeah. Sold everything, got rid of everything and moved down. Um, it took me a little bit of time. Like, it took me six months to get down here and to, like, prep stuff to, for the business. But but in your mind, you were like, yep, that's, it feels right. Mm -hmm. The move is right. For sure, yeah. It was still tough. Like, I had to process, you know, like, leaving my community and my friends and sort of, you think of, like, your comfort zone, right? But once you get here, you realize, like, the simple life is actually really beautiful. So... Yeah, I had to process all of that, and I did. It was like a little bit challenging, but I knew that it was the right step to take. And sure enough, as soon as I landed and like got into Guatemala and up here, it just feels right. Tell us more about the, the simple life being really beautiful. What do you mean by that? I think there's a lot of room and 
time and space to like just breathe and enjoy nature and harvest stuff from our garden. You can do that anywhere, right? But there's just so nice. You're like really in in nature and you're also surrounded by poverty, right? So that keeps perspective on things and it's very calming just just sitting here and talking and relaxing under the trees and there are birds all around us. I can mm-hmm. I can feel what you're what you're yeah. saying, you know, yeah. like I can imagine that world. Yeah. Pretty sure my blood pressure's dropped to <laughs> near zero. Am I still alive? <laughs> Sometimes it's frustrating when you're trying to be like super efficient or I actually had to adjust quite a bit when I got back here and realize, okay, like everything I did in the States and the way I'm used to working, like doesn't necessarily it can't just apply it here like things work a little differently here which makes sense right yeah. different place yeah yeah so tell us more about it's a wood can you give us an overview of the business what it is sure so we've started or decided to focus on woodworking but really uh working like home accessories and tabletops so smaller items um utilizing the native tropical woods which are hardwoods beautiful woods that can last a lifetime um but focusing on like some of the the scraps and what people aren't using, right? Because there's quite a few large lumber yards in the area in concesiones um, and the porcentaje rendimiento, which means the, let me think of the English word. For example, if you cut down a tree, right? 45% of it is good boards. So they um, take advantage or use 45% of the tree. Only 45%. Yeah. Like some of them, it, it varies, but like sort of the standard conversion rate for rendimiento is 45%. So that 65%, you know, is sawdust and the edges and smaller boards or, yeah, shorter pieces um, that isn't considered like prime wood. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're trying to give like more life to the tree and use that 65%. Right. Yeah. And I also saw in one of your Instagram posts, you were taking a walk through the forest looking for fallen trees. Is that something that you do as well? Yeah, it's something we do for fun. Um, we have to, you still have to, even if it's a fallen tree, you have to license it in oh, order right. to be able to uh, commercialize it, like sell it. Okay. But yeah, we, when I first got here, I really just wanted to get to know the area again. So we would go for walks in the forest and, um, see what what we could use yeah that's awesome mm-hmm. and so and your is your mom still involved in it's a wood as it is today is she is she like an advisor yeah she is an advisor she has a great eye for design so she plays a role in that we're always i'm always like bouncing my ideas off her and then um she's she's just a really good visionary so um she's always like five steps ahead of me and like paints a good picture of where we should be going where I'm doing like the daily grind and she keeps us all inspired and motivated very cool yeah the designs are quite impressive do you design them and she helps or it's a team effort yeah for sure so for like one of our lines our bathroom line or we call it our hotel line we actually worked with some designers in the city that wanted to help us out um so they you know provided all the measurements and drawings and stuff and um and then, yeah, we just, we try to make stuff that we would really enjoy in our household, you know. So we work together and we've worked with one other designer on some of the product line. But, yeah, it's, it's a team effort. And now I read on the website that It's a Wood believes in a bunch of things. You've got it laid out in these sort mm-hmm. of, in, in this way of uh, we believe in. 
and there was a bunch of key messages there and there was education, there was environment and there was like an underlying social mission as well mm -hmm. for the local community. Can you run us through each of those and why they're important? Sure. So education, conservation and, and enterprise are the, the social aspect. We really got started because of the jungle school, like to help the jungle school, to help the sustainability of the school and to be able to support more educational programs and education in the area because we know and believe that education is what is going to create the difference in the long run, right, for healthy development in these communities. And that's sort of like our, our commitment is to always um, support education, local education. So it's a way of, of um, reducing the reliance on donations, for example, yes. you know, creating your own sustainable means of income to right. support the school. Yes, to support oh, that's the school, great. exactly. That's yeah. But we don't want to focus just on the jungle school. We want to support local schools in general in whatever way we can, whether it's building desks for them or... Um, you know, doing a vocational carpentry class for them or, you know, giving them money for resources, pencils and notebooks and like, yeah. Sorry, I might just interject. Uh -huh. How many students at the Jungle School at the moment and, and what was it back in the day? Sure. So it started um, with 15 students that would come walking um, and it was just elementary, like first, second and third grade. Um, and now we have 400 and a really vibrant, beautiful preschool. Um, all the way uh, elementary, high school, and then in Guatemala you have Diversificado, which is like a high school um, focus, like a path you can take. And so we have ecotourism, uh, magisterio, but just focused to preschool teachers, so to study to become a preschool teacher, and finance. So the kids have, or yeah, they have some options. We see a lot of potential, and, and really it's because they've asked for it. Like the, when we started, they, the kids were getting to sixth grade and saying, we want to keep on studying. And it, it just, it's grown beautifully over the years. Um, and we're trying to make an example of a green campus so they recycle. And we really try to focus the education on like the environment and our surroundings, right? Because we're in a beautiful tropical forest and, um, and create the awareness for, for protecting it and the care for it and stuff. So, so the school has sort of that mission. And yeah, it's, it's boomed. It's 400 kids now. 400. That's yeah. And as we were driving in, you were telling us this, the campus was, had a previous life. Yeah, so um, we're kind of out in the middle of nowhere, even though there are quite a few little villages around us. But this campus was an orphanage in the 70s. Um, and then it was left abandoned for quite some time. And so we acquired it. And it was a total... Like, you had to have a lot of guts and vision because <laughs> there was nothing. I mean, there, there were shells of buildings, but, you know, no running water, no electricity, um, and everything. I mean, the grass was, like, up to, to your waist or more if you were a little kid and uh, just totally abandoned. It's so. hard to imagine because we're sitting here it's, and yeah. there are, I mean, it looks really established. There's great buildings. It looks like a very functional school yeah. in the jungle of course yeah, yeah. like yeah. yeah a good ratio of trees to buildings yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 and um, yeah i mean it's been 18 years of hard work so Jeez. we're getting there what a vision thing <laughs> that is incredible yeah. amazing what you guys have done thank you just to focus on another aspect of the education is we we want to like provide jobs for students when they graduate so they 
and also create our talent pool within like the, the school, right? So do vocational carpentry classes for the students as well. So that's another aspect of education that we want to help. That's awesome because I mean, happen. like in any business, attracting good talent is always one of the biggest problems and you're, you've got a nice way to get that done while also serving the community and you know, solving a problem of local employment. Is that a major problem in this area? Yeah, yeah. Unemployment's a big deal in these rural communities. There's a lot of poverty around us, a lot of um, subsistence farming, but but it's hard, you know. Like this is a this it's a hard life. Yeah. Mm. Um, I actually just interviewed um, the guys from Itza Wood, our carpenters, because I want to make sure that I, I'm always in touch with their reality, and I. One of my questions was, in your group of friends and your social circle, like, do a lot of people have jobs? Do like 50-50? And he's and all of them said a lot of people don't have jobs. Like, we feel lucky to have a consistent, solid job. So creating local jobs is an, is another critical arm, and I understand why. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the third one was the environment. And deforestation is a problem all over Latin America, all over the world, really. Yeah. Uh, can you give us a rundown of what the problem is specifically in this area? Sure. So deforestation is a problem. Where this, the Paten, the Mayan biosphere is the second largest tropical forest in the Americas. So it's definitely an important lung for this area. And yeah, one of one aspect is it's. It's such cowboy land, like it's it's too vast and big to be monitored well. Right. So, you know, wood goes out through the border to Mexico and like it's just easy for deforestation to happen. Right. And there isn't like the education. That's why we want to raise awareness and like focus on education so that when the students grow up, they'll realize that, you know, cutting down a tree and selling it quickly for a cheap price like isn't sustainable and isn't helping anyone. Um, yeah, so deforestation has been a problem. I would say that um, overall right now, the concessions, which are the groups that do the, have the lumber yards, they work the forest in a very sustainable way. The people who are doing it well are doing it really well. I guess <laughs> they understand course, the value. But of there's a lot of illegal logging, yeah. The deforestation that is causing the problem is the illegal deforestation. Yes, the Ill- so there's like a is there like a under a black market for getting wood out of yeah. out of this Through region? Mexico border, okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And you mentioned the other thing is as well as is clearing the land for agriculture as well. Yes. Yeah, so and also cattle. A lot of cattle land. Um, what they come in and do is they just uh, yeah slash and burn um, and clear the fields for cattle. So. The, the ranchers have deforested quite a bit, and then also for farming. Most of it's monocrop, though, like most of it's corn up here. And so Itza Wood manages to, to avoid <laughs> contributing to deforestation by <laughs> using the pieces of the wood that would otherwise not be used. And also it's Forest Stewardship Council, Council certified. Is it that's the right thing? Yes. To? Okay. So we only we buy FSC certified wood. So the Forest Stewardship Council, which is an international certification, um, 
which all of the big lumber yards in the area are FSC certified. Okay. So, and it's, it's regulated pretty well, like it's quite strict. Um, for example, if they harvest from one little area one year, um, they go in and there are all these studies done and they tell them exactly which trees they can cut and which ones they have to leave. And then it takes them about 35 to 45 years to come back to that area. So mm-hmm. they let the forest regenerate. That's great. So it's done very sustainably. And is there a body that's managing the conservation of different parts of the of the forests so that there's, you know, wildlife can hang out there and have a home and that sort of thing? Is habitat sort of protected in some way in this forest? Yes. Yes. Except for the legal operations, obviously. Right. The legal operations, no, but the habitat is protected. Like, certain pieces of machinery aren't allowed in. Like, they have to, yeah. They can't open roads to drag the wood out, like they have, and they can only use certain types of equipment yeah. in order to not harm the biodiversity and the land. So I want to chat a little bit about impact to date. So, sure. how, so remind me, how long has it's been going for? We got started in 2016 in January, but our first year we focused mainly on like product development and figuring out. You know, none of us were professional in the wood industries, professionals in wood industry. Uh, So learning a lot, a huge learning curve. And then we just really started with sales last year in 2017. So we're in our first year of, or going into our second year of sales. So still super new, but already employing locals. So that's an impact. How many locals do you employ? Yeah, so we have six full-time, seven with me. And then we also work with some different asociaciones, communities, and about 25 families. Wow, okay. So that's quite a, it's a huge impact already. Um, and what about trees? I saw a stat about how many trees you've planted, for example. Yeah, so how yeah. does that work? And So we, we got started with a reforestation project, actually before Itzawood was uh, legally established. And um, it's we did 45 hectares, so 45,000 trees. Wow. Yeah. How did you manage it? It was, yeah, it was a big... Undertaking. Yes, yeah, a huge <laughs> undertaking, and it was... Uh, we partnered with the school and so we it wasn't like child labor but the kids got excited we all got excited about it and of course, worked I... really hard to get the trees planted yeah and that's that's so cool because you're teaching them the value of nature oh, the and, trees, yeah. and what trees do for us and actually when we were driving in and i think you pointed out to us a part of the reforestation area yeah. was that yeah Is that, 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 that area oh, wow. wow it looks yeah. really lush and beautiful how long did that take you to do? That's a huge amount of land. That took probably, I don't know, about six months maybe. Wow. wow. What an effort. That's brilliant. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a, it's a plan de, de producción. So you have to harvest some of the trees, right? Um, it's like a plantation. But it's also, we reforested an area that needed reforesting. So the idea is to be able to, you know, sell some of that wood to help the school and the NGO and also work it ourselves. And That's cool. So we, we've talked about the impact. Mm-hmm. Can you share any stories where, you know, like you, like you explained before, where you spoke to, you interviewed some of the guys in, in the team that are working and doing some of the carpentry. Mm-hmm. Have there been any stories around how the, the social enterprise of It's the Wood has helped change life or, you know, helped impact <laughs> Sorry, he just got a bug here. <laughs> it, is, it is the jungle. It is yeah, the jungle. This, this and is a jungle interview. <laughs> in the jungle school. Yeah, definitely not a typical interview. But it's... 
Um, it's all part of the experience. Can you share any stories where, where the team has been impacted in some way by, by what the work that Itzawood is doing? So basic, right? And something that maybe we take for granted because we've always had access to it. But just having a steady job and like being able to provide for your basic needs. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I mean, that's where we're at right now. Like, Which is huge. Yeah. It's huge. It's basic, but huge yeah. in these rural areas. When we were speaking to Philip Wilson um, of EcoFiltro, he was saying that, to your point, providing that basic, those basic needs at the bottom of the pyramid, Maslow's hierarchy, and by doing that, then you give them the, the platform to sort of open up their minds to think yeah. further than just putting food on their plate and right. hand to mouth and right. maybe starting their own ventures. And, and I think he, he used the example of one of the mothers who works for him saying that she hopes her son one day would open up his own social enterprise, which is very special because she can start thinking further than just, yeah, the food yeah. on the plate. She was scenario. totally bought into the idea of social enterprise and could see the value of it, which yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. And it just, um, I don't, yeah, it opens up. We're not doing anything like super innovative or revolutionary, right? But it's something that isn't being done here yet in this part of the country. And so it opens up their eyes to like new possibilities and getting creative with your woodworking in different ways. And like, yeah, it's, it's special. Yeah. And I guess it also invokes creativity and a sense of pride in your skills and your craftsmanship and things yeah. like that. Which brings me on to the products. Can you tell us about the product range of It's a Wood? What are the products that you guys sell? Yeah, so we've, we've focused on three different areas. So we do bathroom accessories, home and decor, or kitchen and decor. So we have like a beautiful serving boards, um, kitchen utensils, uh, bowls. We, we do quite a bit of work on the lathe. Um, yeah, accessories like little candle holders and um, portavasos. <laughs> I'm thinking in Spanish right now. <laughs> Today's a Spanish day. <laughs> um, like boxes and trays and yeah, tabletop and home decor mainly. But we'd love to venture, eventually we'll grow into furniture and like oh, wow. some more statement pieces. Very nice. And chopping boards? Yes, chopping boards. So um, I was reading this website. I don't know if you've come across it, the trashesfortosses.com oh. website. So it's a website all about zero waste. It was started by a young entrepreneur, Lauren Singer, mm -hmm. who realized that she was not living an environmentally friendly life and she went totally zero waste. Mm -hmm. So she's got wow. this very famous video where she has a jar of her waste for the last four oh, years. I have seen that. Yeah, right, where yeah. she like unpicks everything. Yeah. Anyway, she's got this one part on her website that has like swaps in and out of different things. Like if you use like disposable plastic razors, how can you get rid of those and use one that you can, you know, use for a long time? And one of those things on that list of swaps is chopping board, right? Yes. Like that she's got this like a picture of this plastic chopping board that's not recyclable, uh -huh. which I think we've all had in our home at some sure, stage, right? Yeah. Like I've definitely owned one of those. Um, and she says, well, why would you not buy something like a beautiful chopping board that you that lasts for a long time and, yeah. you know, is makes it sort of a nice statement in your home as well. And she sort of advertises a, a friend of hers who's got a nice, who makes her own chopping boards. Mm -hmm. And it just made me think, like, 
of that idea has become way more sort of concrete in my mind in recent times. And I just thought, you know, like having a, a product that's got a huge amount of quality and craftsmanship built into it that will last a very long time um, is such a better option than, than using these plastic quick things. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about the craftsmanship and the quality of the It's a Wood product. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what goes into making some of these things? Sure, sure. So, yeah, the, our product, I mean, we're using really hard tropical woods, which can last a life. With a little bit of care, they can last a lifetime. Literally, like an heirloom piece in the home. Um, and we put a lot of care into our quality control and our finishes. And um, we only use natural stuff that can come in contact with food. So, for example, on the boards, we're using like a beeswax as a finish. And bees is, is something we have here, right? So, like, the beeswax is local and we're trying to to really boost like the local economy and buy as much as we can from the local economy as well. Right. Yeah. Are bees an issue here in terms of their, 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 you know, in the US you've got um, colony collapse and all that kind of thing with bees dying all over the show and mm-hmm. becoming a huge problem. Is that an issue here or not so much? Not that I've heard of. Okay. No. Yeah. Okay. So, so you buy the beeswax from the local, the local guy, the local guy and use that to, in the product. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, a piece uh, can take from start to finish like a day and a half to make, depending on which piece we're talking about, just because of all the all the different steps. There's like 14 steps in making one serving board. It's really cool. I mean, imagine like if you were to get a chopping board like that versus a plastic one. I know I keep talking about this, but I really love the idea of having something so special that you would have, you know, your whole life, ideally. And even if it does get to the end of its life, like say you just you know, love cooking and you've hacked away at that thing the whole, your whole life, it, you could then eventually return it to the earth in the form of composting or something like that, as opposed to going into landfall, right? Right. right. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a very, I think that, that we all have to be conscious consumers, right? Like, it's just, a. we can't afford to not be anymore. If you're aware at all of what's happening in the world, like, you have to buy consciously. And so we're really trying to, to provide that product, you know, that mm-hmm. is, we're a company that's triple bottom line. So we have those, you know, focuses, like we want to be good to the people and the place, the environment and the, the people here. That's what we're all about is the people and the place. And yeah, I think that more companies definitely are gravitating towards that as conscious consumerism is becoming like more of a trend. And I hope that in the near future, like, you have to be, you know? Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. If we just zoom out for a second, Eliza, and we look at Guatemala and maybe even the world, however you want to approach the question, what what concerns you most about what's going on in the world today? The environmental factor is huge, right? Um, and something that we want to have an impact. We want to impact locally, right, with the Guatemalan forest and where we are. Um, but yeah, just the, for me, like what really gets to me is, is the disequality and the lack of opportunity that some people have. And I want to be that bridge, you know, I want to be a bridge that between resources and worlds and developed and underdeveloped in order to bring more prosperity to the people so they can just like live 
live a good standard of life, you know? Yeah. I think it's so easy to do. So little goes so far here. Like, it's not hard to have an impact creating those more opportunities for people to prosper. Mm. Yeah. It's like providing, as we said, that those basic needs can change people's yeah. perspectives and lives. Mm-hmm. And so focusing on the positive side of things, and you've already mentioned, and Joy and I obviously have spoken to a couple of other social entrepreneurs here in Guate. <laughs> yeah, <there you> <laughs> Are there any other sort of in- innovations or social enterprises that you've seen coming out at the moment that you're really excited about? Yes, there are. In Guatemala, yeah. specifically. Or anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little disconnected from the <laughs> most of the social entrepreneurs are like in Antigua or yeah, yeah. the mountains or Guatemala City. Yeah. Like, there aren't too many up here. <laughs> but um, thankfully, in like the past six months, I've been able to participate in some workshops that have really helped, you know, give us some direction and more strategy in, in our operations. Um, and I've, I've ran into some great social entrepreneurs that, for example, like one of my friends is working in hummus and garbanzo. The food hummus? Yeah. Oh. But... But the cool, the really cool thing is that garbanzo isn't grown here, and so they're they're. Uh, but it can be, and it utilizes like one third of the water that corn does, and it's sold for a higher price. So they're trying, you know, they're doing different. They have different testing grounds, but trying to make like garbanzo a crop that um, they can grow here and, yeah, get into the hummus market in Guatemala. Amazing. That's cool. That's really cool. That's yeah. very innovative. A lot, there, there are so many amazing social entrepreneurs. Like I'm always just feel really grateful yeah, to be a part of this ecosystem. When I hear other people's stories, it's really inspiring. It feels like there's more of a hub here. I don't know if it's just because we've sort of managed to meet quite a few of them, but it just feels like Guatemala has something special going. Yeah, we were going to actually ask you, and we, I think we, this is a trend for us now, asking interviewees because we're not sure because we're we're in amongst it and we are looking for businesses like this but it feels to us like there's a real groundswell happening and i don't know if it's a collective and consciousness that's coming together but more and more people are getting involved in these types of business models and as you said not only looking out for people uh, sorry profit but but people and and the planet yeah Uh, do you think that's the case i do yeah, they're, they're, well, I mean, I just, I moved back to Guatemala two years ago, but from talking to different social entrepreneurs, it seems like I came back right at, at a good time. Like there's this wave of social entrepreneurship and people are excited about it and more of like a collaborative environment, not so competitive. And there really is, I think amongst, well, all generations, but just like we're fed up with corruption that isn't letting the country prosper how it should be, right? Because all the resources are here. And, um, yeah, so I think it's, it's an answer to that cry. Why? Why is that happening? Do you think it's a generational sure. thing? Maybe it's a bit of a generational thing. Maybe a crisis? And then there's been quite a, yeah, like a couple years, you know, a couple years ago the president was impeached and there was the political crisis and, um, like, it felt like we got justice for the first time in a long time. And I think that like has also helped. 
Yeah, raise awareness. What about globally? Do you think it's the same globally? I live in my jungle world. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I wish I could tell you yes or no. Like, I feel like I need to get out and travel. Yeah. I mean, I've done quite a bit of traveling. Um, but no, I wouldn't say that every area has this focus yeah. necessarily. It does yeah. feel like there's something special going on here. But yeah, this is a good little space to be in in your jungle school yeah <laughs> stay here it's good um i want to talk about what what's next for it so what what is the big plans in 2018 where to from here you mentioned making furniture expanding the product range is there anything else that's sure. super exciting well yeah we actually just um got into the u.s market so we're starting to export now it's um and i think that that's the direction we want to go so we're prepping for that, and we're excited about, um, yeah, foreign markets that really value the price of the wood and stuff. And I noticed that you were um, you were at the New York. We're at New York now, right? Yeah. So in February we participated at New York Now, which is a big trade show for um, home decor and tabletop, and we were in a section called Handmade Global. Mm. So most of the the exhibitors up there um, have like a really cool social sort of focus and it's you know handmade craft and just really nice quality and stuff um it was our first time participating and, and it was exciting it went well so we the reception had a good response good. oh yeah, great we had a good response yeah. and some orders and so hopefully. we'll be back oh yeah we'll be we're yeah. prepping we go back in august because oh, it's a, wow. a biannual show Fantastic. That's good. So that model works quite well. Will you sort of replicate that around the world or? Yes, that would be the idea. Okay. So when can we find it's a wood in Australia? <laughs> yeah, can you, can you send Or Johannesburg, South Africa. <laughs> right, right, Actually, right. we met the, the Oots Market guys and they told us that we can buy your stuff. Because yeah. they're doing all Oots the shipping Market now. in Australia. Shipping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool, isn't it? That is cool. I mean, ideally, big, big picture, like we want to set a business model that we can adapt to any country so like using the natural resources in a responsible way like teaching the technique and craft and helping rural or impoverished areas um, develop economically yeah cool. so i mean yeah maybe someday we would it wouldn't necessarily be itza but it would be another forest that's endangered or you know in a rural area where we can go in and help yeah help replicate the model mm-hmm. yeah it's so interesting because everybody I, we haven't heard that response before we got to guatemala and we've heard that from philip and we've heard that from aaron like how can we if we're onto a great thing here how can we take that yeah. and share mm-hmm. it with the world which i think is such a nice to be open source about it yeah, yeah. it's yeah. so collaborative and i think it really goes to show what you guys have here together as a little community because we haven't yet come across that elsewhere <laughs> it's quite cool so today if somebody wanted to buy something from you what do they do so today um, they could go online to ootsmarket.com um, or they could also go onto our website and request a catalog and purchase directly from us. Okay, cool. So online, yep. Yeah. And then, I mean, if they're in the States, we're in some different boutiques on the East Coast and West Coast. Okay. Um, and we need, we'll be updating our website with that information as well. <laughs> I have the tiniest little green spider on me. Look how cool it is. It's like see-through. It's amazing. <laughs> I think he may be a baby or... Yeah, is he? I don't know. 
Those, yeah, those don't get very big. Oh, he jumps as well. He wants to stay on me. <laughs> okay. He likes you. He likes, he likes me. You. Okay, we'll finish this interview the, with... The rule is if they're outdoors, it's their turf. But if they're like in by your pillow, you can, you know... Move them move out. Move them out. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. But um, you really want to sit... Okay, we'll finish the interview with chilling. him sitting on me. He's chilling. Um, <laughs> uh, so if people want to follow along and want to sort of stay in touch with the It's a Wood story... How can they do that? Yeah, so uh, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And we're always updating, not too frequently, because the Wi-Fi isn't super great out here. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're really, really interested about what we're doing, our campus is always open, and we welcome anyone to come visit. Fantastic. Yeah. And can people stay here? Yes. We're lucky. We're, we're staying here tonight, and we're really looking forward to it, especially going to bed with all the sounds of the yeah, jungle Yeah, the sound around of the us. jungle. It's right. just amazing. You get the howler monkeys oh, at 4.30 really? a.m. Really? Yeah. I don't oh, think we're going to wow. sleep. I, I think we're going to be at the window <laughs> just doing this. Do they come through the campus? So, uh, you'd ha no, you'd have to walk back into the forest a bit to see them, but you'll definitely be able to hear them. Final question for you, like that. Sure. There is... I'm sure a ton of people out there listening to this that would be inspired by what you're doing, mm -hmm. both by the by the concept of a social enterprise, but also by your idea of simple living and sort of taking it down a notch and not being, you know, having more time to see what's going on in the world and um, and in, in themselves. What advice, tips, tricks, thoughts of motivation would you would you want to send out into the world? Just go for it. You know, like I think if you really have that desire to do something impactful and meaningful, a lot of times what holds us back is the fear, right? Like I'm not qualified to start my own company or I don't have enough tools in my toolbox. But I think that beyond like imagination and skill, what the world asks of you is courage. So just like if your heart's in it, dive in and be smart about it but just start yeah yeah courage is hard courage is hard yeah no. but life is short you know i think you know you you're lucky in the way that you've got these amazing parents that have so much vision and have true they've kind you know, of set a good example right? for me like, right they come to the jungle and they're like great opportunity you know as most people <laughs> would be like let's start a school you know <laughs> why not yeah. yeah yeah i think that you start to see things as see things as potential, right? So yeah. try to look at, at the world through those glasses. Potential. Where's the potential in this? Because there is so much. And with all we know about today in the environment and social upliftment, you know, when we look at potential, we can also look at at it from that triple bottom line angle as well. Not just like what is the financial potential, but what is the social potential? What is the environmental potential? Yeah, um, which is awesome. Love that. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, thank, thank you, Eliza. Yes. So, it's so cool to be here. really appreciate the opportunity and obviously to share your story with everybody out there. It definitely gives us motivation to continue our journey as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really you. exciting and inspiring to see what you're doing here. Likewise. I mean, thanks for coming out to our remote corner <laughs> <It's> <laughs> awesome. of the world. Yeah. It's an absolute honor to be here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And thanks for sharing your spiders with me. He's now like... Um, He's attached. We'll make sure to keep the hair. big ones away. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. We find these stories so empowering and exciting, and we hope you do too. You can find Eliza over at itsawood.com or check out our show notes for more links. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Hit us up at hello at sustainablejungle.com.